I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and Haley Salvian with you as always to kick off your week in the National Hockey League. Uh, coming up in the next hour or so, we're going to discuss Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers pushed to the brink of elimination in stunning fashion on Sunday night in Winnipeg. Our Jets reporter, Murat Atesh, will join us to chat about Winnipeg's shocking 3-0 series lead. Meantime, Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals, they're beyond the brink of elimination. They're out. What does that mean for the Superstars' future? And what does that mean for the Capitals moving forward? In Multiple Choice Madness, we'll debate the length of Nazem Kadri's suspension and we'll hand out our way-too-early Con Smythe trophies as well. So kicking off the week here with Haley. First question, Haley Salvian, how is your bracket doing? You know, you and I and Sean McAdoo and Craig Custance and, and, and everyone, LeBron Burnside, everybody who is a athletic hockey show podcast host was tasked with putting together our playoff brackets. Like, how's your, how's your final four looking? Because I'm in trouble with the Florida Panthers right now. Yeah, well, as you know, we, we both agreed. We both put all of our chips in the Florida Panthers bandwagon. Uh and so it's not looking great. However, I did have Boston beating Washington, which is great. Um, I did have, I did have Colorado also. So I'm two for two in terms of the series that are over. So I'm choosing to focus on that <laughs> and not look at the Florida Panthers going all the way through. Uh, I'm wishing I hopped on the Nashville bandwagon a little bit sooner. Um, cause that series is tied and we'll see, see where that goes. Obviously it's going to be very difficult for them to beat Carolina two more times, but, uh, yeah, Florida has been tough and it could be, this could be it of my, uh, bandwagon fan time with the Florida Panthers fairly soon here. Well, it, was I, fun while it lasted. Yeah. And I was with you. It's like you and I, we gotta, we gotta be like Thelma and Louise going off the cliff with the Panthers. You know what? We're in it to the end. I, I'm with you. I hope this thing goes at least to a sixth game. Because I think this series, even though it's 3-1 Tampa, it's been filled with storylines, some drama, some tension, some legit hate, some great sound yeah. bites from uh, Cooper and, and Q. Like, it's been fun. It would be a real shame, I think, if on Monday night 
the Tampa Lightning just put the Panthers out. And I'm not even speaking from our selfish vantage point of, oh, we don't want to look that stupid with our yeah. brackets. I just think this is yeah. such, this has been such good theater and drama for the game of hockey. It has been. And we all said that this was, you know, I think it was a, probably a month or so ago last time we had Dom on the show. One of your multiple choice questions was, what series, you know, are you most excited for? And both Dom and I said, you know, there was, I think, or maybe Dom said Montreal, Toronto. But I think I said, like, I would love to see a Florida and Tampa series because just think of the potential that it has for the game and, um, you know, building that rivalry and all those storylines that could come into play. And it's really followed through with all the expectations that we all probably had for the series. So hopefully it goes more than just five games. Um, hopefully our Panthers can can <laughs> pull through for us here. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the goaltending conundrum facing Joel Quenville later. We'll get to that in multiple choice madness. One glaring omission, though, from your bracket, Haley. What'd you have in the North Division, Haley? Who'd you have coming out of the North? Toronto, not Edmonton. So. Oh, you did. Okay. I thought, that. but yeah. you did have Edmonton nope. beating Winnipeg, right? I would never put the Oilers in the final four, but I should have known. I don't know. I just thought for once maybe they would – I don't know what I was thinking. I feel like an Oilers fan. I'm not an Oilers fan. I live in Calgary. I grew up in Toronto. Like I, I'll watch. McDavid's a great player, but now I'm feeling like those Oilers fans who are just like, I should have known. I should have known better, but I didn't. Like I have a good friend who lives in Edmonton, and he's down bad. <laughs> he's down bad. and I, He's just like, I'm sick of it. I'm in – a toxic relationship. <laughs> it's that boy you just can't get enough of or girl, whoever it is. And he's not having a good time. But I did have Edmonton coming out of this series and uh, it's not looking good. Wouldn't you say that about 90% of hockey fans are involved in an unhealthy, destructive, a destructive and arguably toxic relationship with their favorite team? Like, it, yeah. It's really a small percentage of fans that are like in a healthy, healthy. <laughs> in a healthy relationship with their favorite pro sports team, right? Like think about it. Like uh, like Vancouver fans, Buffalo fans, uh Flyers fans, uh Rangers think fans. Think about the year that lately. Penguins fans were like burning their jerseys and dumpsters and stuff cuz they lost to the Flyers. I think it was that year. What was that the year that Claude Giroux uh, he went at Crosby in, I think so. in the, yeah. So that, I think that was 2012 and yeah, that, that was, but there was remember, like, I'm done. Yeah. But remember though, at that point, there was a window there where we thought the penguins were like done. Like we're like, Oh man, like you're not going to win anymore with Crosby and Malkin, right? Like 2012, 13, 14, 15, yeah. it was looking a little iffy for the Pittsburgh yeah. penguins. Look at us. Look at us. Look at how much we know. <laughs> they went two back to back and now they're back swinging it a little bit here. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a fun series that, uh, I think a lot of us thought Pittsburgh, New York could go seven games, right? A Barry Trotz yeah. coach team up against, uh, Sidney Crosby that has the recipe for, for seven games. But I don't think if you had laid out all of the scenarios for round one, boy, Haley, I gotta be honest. I'm not sure a lot of people would have Winnipeg sweeping Edmonton. I, I think that if that comes to fruition, and, of course, we're recording this just in, in advance of Game 4. If that comes to fruition, that has to be 
regardless of any other uh, outcome of any series, and I'm going to include Nashville beating Carolina, I don't know that there would be anything more stunning than Winnipeg sweeping Edmonton, no? Yeah, I agree. I think it would be the biggest upset that we we see in this playoffs. Um, unless it's Nashville coming back and beating Carolina in seven games. Um, but even still, Nashville winning in seven, knock on wood. My predators. <laughs> I'm hopping off Florida. Um, but like a sweep of the Edmonton Oilers after – you know, what that team did in the regular season, what Connor McDavid did in the regular season, what Leon Dreisaitl did in the regular season. Um, you know, I think it would be stunning. Um, but I think Connor Hellebuck has been Connor Hellebuck. Um, he's been absolutely incredible. They have completely, you know, they have found a way to shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I mean, shut down the entire Oilers offense, I think, before um, – you know, Sunday night's game where they scored four goals, they had only scored one goal in game one and two. Um, so I, I just think, you know, it's tough for Edmonton fans right now because I think obviously they believe they should be doing better in this series and they should be, you know, the Oilers, it's, it's shocking, but the Jets are playing really well and they're taking away so much time and space and that's what the playoffs is, right? It's, it gets harder, it gets tighter, it gets faster the checking gets you know there's more checking it's more physical and the jets are just playing playoff hockey and they're executing it really well and they're really taking it to edmonton but you know it doesn't mean it's not shocking like i i don't know how many people would have said a jet sweep i think anyone who actually picked the jets probably would have said in six yeah and i and i did i picked winnipeg i picked winnipeg to get out of the north division uh, and it wasn't based on anything other than I feel like everything can fall into place for them because they had struggled so much down the stretch. I went with the line of thinking it's bound to turn around for them at some point. And I mm -hmm. trusted Ed, uh, Winnipeg's goaltending more than anybody. I think you've seen Connor yeah. Hellebuck at times play really well uh, in this series. You know, and Haley, I'm thinking of uh, like I brought this up on the podcast when I did it with with uh, Sean McIndoo. And I'm actually thinking that this might be a worthwhile column to write if McDavid goes out in, in the first round, and I brought this up before, like every NHL player, so the greatest players in the game, so you would put like Gretzky, uh, Lemieux, Bobby Orr on the list of like the, the three greatest players, right? In hockey history, most people would say Gretzky, Lemieux, and Orr in some order. Mm -hmm. So here's the funny thing. All of them, Haley, in their best statistical season, all got shocked and knocked out early in the playoffs. All of them. All hmm. of them. And, they, and, and that's what's happening to McDavid. This was Connor McDavid's breakthrough renaissance, welcome to the elite five of all time, and he's about to be one and done. And, and I, I think my point is, it happened to Gretzky, it happened to Orr, it happened to Lemieux. Welcome to the club, Connor. The difference is, all of those other guys had great supporting casts. And I think that's what McDavid doesn't have. It's... It's really sad to see a superstar player of his caliber get kind of weighted down and not surrounded by some talent. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl's on that hockey team, but it's no question that the Edmonton Oilers struggle with their secondary scoring and their depth. Um, you know, when you load up a line with those two guys, then the rest of your lineup is not looking the same you know it you know the Winnipeg Jets when you match those two teams up especially down the middle 
the Jets maybe don't have they don't have a Connor McDavid. You know, I'm I like Mark Shifley. I think he's a great player. Um, you know, there's some really good players on the Winnipeg Jets. They don't have a McDavid, but they have a ton of depth throughout their lineup. You know, I think their defense was a question, but their D is probably better than Edmonton's because I don't think you know the Oilers don't have a number one defenseman. They don't have depth and. Obviously, we saw their goaltending was great up until the point where they let in four goals in the last, I guess, ten, nine, nine, ten minutes of the the period. So, um, or three goal, four yeah, goals, th- three, three goals? goals, three goals, three goals. Math. <laughs> it's too early to be doing math, Ian. It um, was four one. Count with my fingers. Yeah, one, two, three. Um, but no, you know, you just look at. You know, I just think the Jets match up better against Edmonton. And, it, and it's tough because you see Connor McDavid post game, and man, like this guy, you, you feel bad for him because this is the best player in the game right now. And he just looks so defeated and dejected. And I'll say, I guess, the difference between the, the greatest players, as you said, you know, having an early exit after their best season ever is like you name those players again, Ian, and, you know, most, if not all of them, have had Stanley Cup successes. Like this isn't like it's a, oh, Connor already has a ring, so it's fine. He had his best season and he's out, but he already has one. He has none. Like this isn't the first year that McDavid has done something great in the regular season and then been knocked out in the postseason. Like they have not had any postseason success. Um. So it's, I don't know, this is, we're going to see what happens Monday night here with game four, if they end up getting swept. I'm, I fear for the hot takes, the oh. uh, McDavid's a bad leader, it's his fault, or the McDavid's going to ask for a trade, um, everything in between. I don't know. It's going to be pretty spicy on, on the Twitter.com. I, and I don't, I don't know what the reason is. I, I don't know. It was fair to ask about the makeup of this team. Um, you know, were they getting the right pieces into place to actually win hockey games? Um, but this is, it's not new that the Oilers struggle with adversity. Um, is that a leadership problem? Like, people are genuinely looking at Connor McDavid and saying, like, hey, like we have a quiet captain who leads by example, but once we get hit with adversity, who's stepping up and reining everyone in? I'm not saying that. I've seen it online. Um, There's going to be a ton of questions, and rightfully so, if the Edmonton Oilers get swept. Uh, And I don't know if anyone's going to have the answers (laughs) to what's going on here. Okay, I need you to rank, uh, Haley, I need you to rank Connor McDavid's face because you mentioned McDavid... (laughs) Post game on Sunday, he looked lost. He looked distraught. Okay, so I'm going to give you three McDavid scenarios. You rank them in order of sadness in his face. <laughs> oh, Number no. one, draft lottery night when he found out he was going to Edmonton. Okay. <laughs> Number two, the airport photo with that couple clinging oh. to each of his arms. Number Amazing. three, post game on Sunday. Where did McDavid look the saddest to you? That's <laughs> so that that airport picture is incredible, but I don't think he was sad. I think he was just very uncomfortable. <laughs> the 
audacity, not even audacity, like the boldness, the confidence of that family to just hold Connor McDavid (laughs) is incredible. It's unmatched. Yeah. And I aspire to be that bold. It was like the Austin Matthews um, getting ragdolled. I think it was by Ben Sherratt, not even ragdolled because he held strong, but just Ben Sherratt's like pounding him and he's just smiling. Like I strive to be that unbothered in my life. Yeah. Um. But Connor McDavid's sad. Um. I just looked up his draft lottery. The picture of him at the draft lottery. Wait. So were they? <laughs> he looks sad. So did they have him in studio yeah. to film his reaction yeah. to where he was going? Yeah. You don't remember that? It was like. Oh my so- god! His face. He's just like. Oh. Yeah. He did not look <laughs> super happy. Oh like, no! At all. Oh, man. Well, this looked like the start of what he knew was going to happen in his life. And then (laughs) Sunday night was like, I knew it. He was probably having flashbacks to draft lottery night. So while draft lottery looks pretty uh, darn sad, I'm going to say Sunday night. (laughs) Sunday night. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should have used that for a multiple choice question. Where did Connor McDavid look uh, the saddest? Okay. So look, McDavid's going, as you said, we're going to see some spicy hot takes on Twitter.com this week, right? You're going to hear, can you win with McDavid? Is he a leader? Yada, yada, yada. You know who went through that? Alex Ovechkin, Haley. Alex went through that for more than a decade. And so Capitals knocked out on the weekend by the Boston Bruins. And it's interesting. Alex Ovechkin's contract is up. And it doesn't feel like he's going anywhere. But, I mean, let, let's let's talk about this for a second. Like, what do we think Alex Ovechkin's contract is going to look like? Is he going to go kind of the Zidane Chara route where just every year, you know, I'll just sign year by year, go one by one. Is he going to say, look, I'm going to take a three-year deal, four-year deal? Because I think if he does that, Haley, it gives us a window into he's really wanting to chase down Gretzky's record. Um, And then the other factor is, where are the Capitals? Like, how do you see Washington? Has the window slammed shut on the fingers of Ovechkin, Nick Backstrom, uh, Oshie, and that group? Or do do they still have enough a life there that, hey, Washington could be a Stanley Cup contender next season. So uh, walk us through how you feel about Ovechkin becoming a UFA uh, this summer. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I obviously, after they were, you know, outed from or ousted from the playoffs, either, after they either, were kicked either, out of the playoffs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, today's a, it's a tough day today for me. Um, you know, once they were kicked out, you know, it, I think somebody asked Ovechkin about his future as you know media typically does and he was like we just lost a playoff series let's talk about this later um and I I wouldn't read into that too much you know some people might see that and say like oh he's leaving because he doesn't want to talk about it but he's right they just lost there'll be an exit meeting locker clean out day where they can have those discussions so and even then I don't know if he's going to say much but for me you know I, I genuinely don't know where Alex Ovechkin stands because I think he has shown that he is and can be a great member of that community in Washington. We did just see him invest in the National Women's Soccer League with the Washington Spirit, um, you know, making a legitimate investment in women's professional sport in Washington. Um, you know, it's tough because you saw what Zidane Char did. I don't know. We had this conversation and we said, yeah, I don't see him leaving he'll probably sign again in Boston and we were wrong. So I think maybe it would, I would love to take a look inside his mind and, you know, see what he's thinking of 
you know, especially right after a playoff loss. But um, I don't know. This is really bad, Ian, because you want to you wanted me to walk you through it, but I don't even know. I, I do think that, you know, we had Tarek, our Washington writer, on not too long ago, and and we kind of discussed this. You know, is the window closing? We all thought it was, and then they're pushing to to win their division. Obviously, the Penguins ended up winning the division, but you know, the Capitals are a team where I think we've discussed that their window was closing or closed for a long time now. I genuinely think now, and I'd be happy to be wrong about this, as you know, a lot of people typically are, but I I don't think it's slammed shut. But I do think that I'm I I don't think it's unfair to say that that window is very close to being closed, if not closed already. Yeah. Um, Alex Ovechkin's 35. Um, it's an aging core group. I just, I think it's getting there. And it's going to be a difficult decision for the Capitals. They're going to need to decide what their direction is moving forward. Because if Alex Ovechkin's coming to you and saying, hey, I want to stay for three more years, um, do you keep the rest of your core intact? Do you start trying to build around a younger core piece and keep Ovechkin as a veteran? Do you keep building around OV as the piece? Like that's a, I don't envy that position because you have the greatest goal scorer in the game saying, potentially, I want to be here. Do you then not build around him? Like when do you make that choice to start focusing on other pieces? Um, and I think that's going to be something that's really interesting to watch this offseason and the coming weeks and months as we maybe hear more and, and see that laid out. And I think it all kind of hinges on Alex Ovechkin. But I don't know how you feel about it, Ian, but I think that's going to be one of the more interesting offseason stories is what does Ovi want to do and what direction are the Capitals going to start to take this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree more. Like it is. It's. I feel like it's not a storyline that's been talked about nationally enough. Alex Ovechkin's contract is up, and again, I don't feel like he's leaving. But you you've seen situations like a great example right now in pro sports is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, where mm-hmm. boy, you can get into a sticky situation with like a legacy player if you're not on the same page. So they got to make mm-hmm. sure everyone's on the same page. And I, I still think Ovechkin is like five. Like if he wants to take a run at Gretzky's record, he needs five full NHL seasons. He's about 160 goals shy of that. So I feel like, you know what? Give him 30-ish goals per season, but he's got to do that for five years. So minimum, I think he's five years away. So it, it's going to become interesting. Like, do you think he'll play in the NHL until he's 40? I think if, if, if I think the only thing that would keep him there, Haley is the pursuit of Gretzky's record, right? And and I have no problem for for him doing that. I'm all for it. Like if he says, I want to chase down that record, I go for it. I I would, I would be all in favor of it. I just don't want to see him. I don't want to see his career kind of tail off. And then he becomes like a 12 goal scorer. And now he's hanging on for three extra years and he's scoring 12 goals. I don't want to see that. But if he's still like a 20 goal guy, I'm, I'm all in for Ovechkin. You don't want to see people saying like, okay, wrap it up. <laughs> Time <Yeah>. to retire. <laughs> you don't want that for people. No. And I think we, you saw that a little bit. Like, and I felt bad too for Patrick Marlowe. There was, there was a school of thought that people were like, oh, this guy's hanging around to break Gordie Howe's record. Like the, the NHL is not a league where people just let you hang around. Like it's not this no. fun, you know, uh, club that you can just hang around. It, 
it takes a lot of dedication and determination. I just, I, I wonder, I guess my point is whatever Ovechkin's contract looks like this summer is going to give us a window into his mindset of, mm-hmm. am I going to start to go year by year? Am I going to sign a, you know, if he signs like a four year deal, I feel like that's him saying I'm in for the run on, on Gretzky. But if he signs like a one or a two year deal, I think I'm going to be a little hesitant to kind of gauge what, uh, what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think we'll see. I, I think there's also the school of thought and the idea that's out there that Ovi would like to finish his career in the KHL. So we'll see. We'll see where his head's at. We'll see what he wants to do. He, you know, he does have a wife and two young kids. Um, little baby Ovi, all the videos that we saw coming out of the summer of him shooting pucks and stuff. So we'll see. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, we don't have the answers because we don't. I don't know Alex Ovechkin. Um, but it'll be really interesting because, again, there's some pieces on this roster that are that are aging. Um Ovi is the only unrestricted free agent coming out of this season for the forward group. So realistically, if you lock him in, then you can have the exact same core for at least one more year, two more years. Um, You know, Tom Wilson has four years left on his deal. TJ Oshie is five years away from UFA. Backstrom is five years away from UFA. Like, I mean, we can talk about what do the Capitals want to do with their core. Do they want to build around something else? But They've got a couple of aging guys with big contracts and no move or no trade clauses. So maybe we are just looking at the same Washington Capitals group for the next couple of years. Um, and I don't know if that's a bad thing, it's, you know, if we can see the same Alex Ovechkin. Um, but we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. You know, I think, you know, Ovi's got his cup. And as we talked about this earlier, you know, McDavid still needs to find his his Stanley Cup and find his team success. And it came. It, it took a long time for Ovechkin. It took a long time for Steve Eiserman. It takes time. Like, like mm-hmm. you know. But what I think is interesting on the weekend, Haley, too. And I know you you pay attention to all sports. You're not just a hockey fan. You're a fan of everything. And I think all of our timelines were flooded with the Phil Mickelson story on the weekend, mm-hmm. where you know Phil is is north of fifty and he wins a title. And it's it's a weird career arc because Phil kind of was a a not so liked person on the golf tour. And now it's like everyone kind of likes him again. And it got me Mm -hmm. thinking from a hockey perspective, like who would be somebody we would want to see win again? Like we didn't know how badly we wanted to see Phil Mickelson win until he got to the Sunday of this, of of the PGA championship. We're like, man, this would be a great story. So as you Mm -hmm. start to look around the NHL, Haley, if you were looking around at guys who have already won a cup and you're like, I wouldn't mind seeing that guy win another cup. Because it would kind of be fun and cool. Like, who's on that list for you? Like, is there is there a guy or two, like, whether they're playing in the playoffs this year or still in the game that like, you're like, yeah, you know what? I'd be cool if that guy won another Stanley Cup. Like, do we have a, do we have a Phil Mickelson that we could kind of get behind seeing winning another uh, another title here? That's a tough one because I think my list is more people who haven't won. You know, right. there's like a huge list of vets that you'd be like, oh, I would love to see him win a cup. Like, remember, you know what? I want Jerome McGinley to win a cup still. <laughs> but, you know, now I'm like in this situation. It's like, okay, well, who's won a Stanley Cup? Who's aging? Who do I actually like? Because <laughs> most of them that are coming to mind haven't won. First of all, so down goes Brown. Sean McAdoo wrote in his column on Monday, he power ranked all the players who haven't won a cup. And not surprisingly, Joe Joe Thornton comes in at number one. 
Suter and Suter and Parise in Minnesota are two and three. So anyway, he's he's power ranked the top twenty guys oh, in the okay. playoffs this year. Um, without you're a cup. being nice, you're being nice. What These were the old guy without a cup rankings. Yeah, you just said guys who haven't won a cup. His headline is literally the old guy without a cup rankings. Yeah, that's his whole thing. <laughs> I'm done trusting him. I read his last two rankings pieces and look at my bracket. It's on fire. Right. Yeah. You went so for Team Chaos. I'm, we're in a fight, Sean McIndoe and I. Okay. We're not well, on speaking terms, well, that's but good. I, I you sp- can continue with his column. Yeah. Well, I listen, I, I work with both of you, so I'll bridge the gap. So here's, yeah. here's my guy, Haley, Marc-Andre Fleury. And I know that, uh, oh. that, I know that Flowers already won. He's technic- not an old guy. He doesn't have to be old, but he is old. What do you mean? Mark Andre Fleury is old. He was Phil Mickelson's like 53. Phil is 50. Yeah, but like, no one's going to play till they're 50 in the NHL. 35 is 50 in the NHL. <laughs> How do you feel? Oh my gosh. I'm just- I, I, yeah, I'm 44. I feel, I feel terrible, Haley. I got sore muscles. People here all the keep time. talking about people here like, oh, Johnny Gujo is getting old. I'm like, he's 28. It's like, I'm going to have a. Quarter life crisis. I'm on the wrong side of 25, Ian. Okay, don't don't be sticking <laughs> that. You know, you're going to get to this point as you as you continue to um, kind of evolve as a reporter. Here's how it's going to work for you, okay? Because this is how it happened to me. It happens to everybody. You're going to be watching the games, and you'll be like, you're going to relate to the players really easily because you you're everyone's in their 20s, and you're yucking it up, and you all understand the same things. Then you're going to get in your 30s, and you're going to you know. There'd be fewer players that kind of are the same age as you. Then you're going to get to my age, Haley, where you're going to start watching the NHL draft and you're like, damn, those parents look so young because you're the same age (laughs) as the parents. And then you're going to realize that some of the coaches that are coming into the league are the same age as you. So this is where I'm at. I'm at the same age as some of these parents whose kids are being drafted. And I'm the same age. I'm the exact same age as Ottawa Senators head coach DJ Smith. Same age. And I, I remember when I broke into this league and I was like, same age as like Martin Havlat. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up with that core of Senators players, Hosa, Alfredson, you know, Spezza. And we were all around, you know, within five, six years of each other or whatever. And now it's, I'm the same age as the coaches, Haley. So And now Spezza is like on the old guy rankings. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, so Mark andre you, you pick Fleury. Yeah, that would be my guy. That- Everyone loves him. So, yeah, like, I guess it's tough thinking of like the Phil Mickelson because he's quite a bit older. Like, he was on the seniors tour. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even, it's not even a joke. He was playing no, on no. the seniors tour, comes in and wins. So, I don't know. It's tough. Like, wouldn't that be like Yarmir Yager coming back and like signing a one year deal and then winning a cup or something? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, that would be great. Like, if that's the guy you want to I would see. love to see Flurry win a cup, though. Yeah. Love it. I'm a huge fan. That's, that's what I think, too. I think a lot of people have this universal love for Marc-Andre Fleury. So I think if mm-hmm. he was the guy, but I think there are a couple of guys. Now, I'm going to throw another name at you. Uh, tell me if, if there's – look, his team's not in the playoffs this year, but is there any love for, like, Ryan Getzloff? Ryan Getzloff is reaching the end of his career. He won a Stanley Cup early in his career. Like – do you care or not care? Or is that just, ah, eh, whatever. Ryan Getzlaff doesn't move the meter for you. I don't know. I Maybe it's because he's been playing in California for so long. Like, he's Canadian. 
a lot of people like probably think fondly of his time with like the Olympic team when he's winning the cup, but like I when I hear that I'm not jazzed about it. I wouldn't be I wouldn't hate it, but I'm not like, "Oh my god, I need to see that. I would love it." Maybe it's a Phil Mickelson thing. Maybe you see him down the stretch in the final round of the playoffs a year from now and you're like, "I didn't know I needed this. I didn't know I needed Ryan Getzlaff to win again." But I'm not feeling it right now. All right, Haley, I I also got to ask you this too. Um and you you kind of touched on this earlier that, you know, Nashville has kind of become a fun story. They're down when they were down two nothing. I was thinking, ah, this could end up being a sweep. But then Matthew Shane, of all people, scores uh, the game three overtime winner. They get another overtime win. Like, are the Predators suddenly like a fan favorite? Like, like are we kind of like an are we all kind of pulling for the Predators here as a as a fun, lovable underdog? I, I know they're playing Carolina, so it's not like Carolina doesn't have that feel of this. Um, you know, established franchise that we all hate, but I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of digging what Nashville's doing right now. Well, it's so funny because I think a lot of people look at the Carolina Hurricanes as the fun, lovable team that you know people need to pay more attention to because they're really good. And like, it kind of became that like people would call them kind of like the hipster pick. Like, yeah, you got to pick the Canes because they're so underappreciated. But then it also became this team that's like. Well, if you're not appreciating them, you're not paying attention. And it became this weird, like, battle of, like, the Canes are actually good. Why are you saying they're underrated? It's like, well, we're all saying they're good. Like, it's the same thing. Anyways, um, the Canes are the fun, lovable team. But when I watch that series, um, I've been fully rooting for the Nashville Predators. The last two games I've watched have been so fun. I think I <laughs> I tweeted yesterday um, my couch shift is entering hour four. <laughs> like I literally did not move. I put on the game. It was 1230 mountain time. Didn't end till after 430 and my back started to hurt, but I was having the best time. Like it was a good game. There's physicality. There's good skill, high energy, the fans in Nashville, like seeing a full building, um, all the country music. It makes me, I went to Nashville last year on the road with the Sens and it was incredible. It makes me miss Nashville. Um, but man, like that's a fun series, honestly, like whoever comes out of that series, um, it's up in the air. Obviously the Canes are still the favorite to come out of that series, but man, it was so fun. Like the back-to-back double overtimes, I don't have it in front of me, but I know I was looking at it yesterday. I was texting back and forth with my, with my friend Jessica, who was also watching the game. And I was like, I think Sebastian Ajo's played over 70 minutes in the last two games. And you look at um, the time on ice for Roman Yossi, and he's over 70 minutes in the last two games. Like, in our one of our, our columnists here um, wrote a story, Joe Rex wrote, Predators have the Canes on the ropes, assuming both have the energy to continue. Like, that's a ton of hockey, two back-to-back games. Well, they didn't well, – they weren't back-to-back games, but two games, yeah. you know, <laughs> went into double OT. That's a ton of extra hockey – um, man, the goaltending has just been so impressive. Nedeljkovic has been incredible, but UC Saros has been unbelievable too. I'm so glad that we had Adam Vingan on and we asked him, you know, is UC Saros, should he be up for the heart? Like, is he the MVP of the season? And he's been the MVP of the playoffs for sure. But, um, you know, I watch this team and, you know, I, I'm rooting for Nashville. I I mean, I wouldn't be upset if Carolina won, but I'm watching this and I'm having a ton of fun watching these games and 
I've been really enjoying watching the Preds for sure. They're my new team since Florida disappointed me. <laughs> it's it's just been so much fun to watch uh, the Predators. I think, again, having fans in the stands, I couldn't help but think about uh, the Winnipeg comeback on Sunday night. Imagine oh. if that MTS center was 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 even half And they do the all white, the white out yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it would have been it would have been awesome. But you know, we've had so much fun watching whether it's Tampa, Florida, or Nashville, Carolina. Like, there's been some really fun series. But Haley, there was a moment, and I I, I think this is the first time we've had a chance to have anybody on a podcast. Uh, I don't think we've had any athletic hockey shows since Game One of Toronto Montreal and the and the scary incident involving John Tavares, uh, Corey Perry. Um, you know, it, it is probably look. I I remember as I first broke into this business, I was in the press box the night Marion Hosa, uh, his stick accidentally clipped Brian Berard in the eye, and mm. I, I gotta tell you, it, it, it's frightening, it's scary, it's like you you worry about somebody's safety. But when mm. I saw what I saw on Thursday and was watching it live. I actually oh. had to change. I actually stopped watching the game for about half an hour. I, I was like, I- I'm mm. actually quite bothered. I just, I just felt really bothered by it. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that there were no fans even made it more eerie, like that you couldn't hear anything. Yeah. And it was honestly, it was, it was so tough to see. And then to turn around on Friday morning and oh. see multiple news outlets put in 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 Montreal, the the French tabloid had a picture of Corey Perry's knee hitting John Tavares in the head, the moment of impact. And in the Toronto Sun, it was a picture of a completely dazed uh, and concussed John Tavares, bloodied face, and that was the picture on on the front page. And Kyle Dubas felt the need on sat on Saturday. Yeah. To address the media and say we don't agree with your decision, it was it was the wrong decision. And I think what bothers me, Haley, and I don't know if if this is how you feel, but when we work in the media, those are exactly the types of stories, okay, that give the media a bad name. If you yeah. want to think that the media is this predatory, like we're these predators. And we just, we love the, if it bleeds, it leads. And we like clickbait. And we like sensationalism. That's exactly what that is. And I think if we don't stand up as a group and say, that's disgusting and it's wrong, mm-hmm. then it's going to continue. So I didn't like it. I I think it was wrong to do it. I think it was in, in poor taste. I, I understand that there's journalistic value to the photo. I understand that. But it's not... It's not headline worthy to me. I think it's wrong. It was very wrong. And I think the pun that they used as well, like it wasn't just the picture, but it was in Captain Crunched as your headline. Um, And that picture was also the moment that was the most scary that I think gave people the most pause. And I think there is, and you know, not to to walk through the whole thing because I do know it was a very traumatizing moment for a lot of people. It made me feel physically ill. Um, I was working on a piece. I had my TV muted, so I didn't hear what happened. I was working, and then I looked up, and then I saw – like I looked up right at the moment of it happening and right at the moment of Tavares kind of fighting the trainer, trying to get up on his own. The trainer was holding – trying to stabilize his neck. 
and then he fell back. And that was the moment where you just knew he was in really, really bad shape. And that was the scariest part. And that was what they blew up on the front page. And it's just so beyond inappropriate. Um, There's so many people that I worked at a newspaper when I was in university as a summer intern. Things don't just go to press. There's a vetting process. People look at that and check off on it. Like if a comma is in the wrong spot, they'll have to redo the whole front page, you know, things like that. I don't like the fact that that went through however many people and got to someone's front doorstep is terrible. I think it's there's just a complete lack of compassion and sympathy and understanding that that's a human being. And one of the hardest parts about seeing that was knowing there's no fans in the stands. So naturally, Tavares' entire family who wants to support John Tavares was probably watching that game and saw that on live television and saw it on the replay. Um, And, you know, the John Tavares Foundation posted a clip pregame, obviously before it all happened, of his two kids wearing jerseys and sitting at home getting ready to watch daddy play hockey. Like um, his, his wife at home with their two young kids had to watch that. And then that's what people are talking about after Captain Crunched. It's just, it's beyond disrespectful in my opinion. And I think it's, like you said, it's those moments where, you know, it, there's people in the media who care and treat people like human beings. And I, obviously you're one of them, Ian, and I think it's very clear that you're one of them. Um, and then there's, you know, ones who just want those clicks. And what my, one of my big problems, not just the headlines that came out was people sharing it too. I think sharing it and reposting it and saying, look at this, this is gross. You're giving them what they want, right? There is a way to talk about your anger and your frustration without giving them even more of a platform. Um, for me, instead of posting anything, I tried to direct attention to the really wonderful piece that James Myrtle did about the situation. Yeah. Um, James Myrtle was in the building. He said that it was probably the worst. He's been in the building for, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, you know, bad injuries in hockey. And he said, you know, I've never sat in my car for half an hour after not able to drive home yet because I feel sick. And he wrote about John Tavares, the human being, and what he means to the Toronto Maple Leafs and what he means to the community and his rise here and how just important he, he's been. And I think that was the right way to handle it. And so for me, instead of reposting the photos of those headlines and saying, look at this, this is horrible, I said, I'm not reposting that. Why don't you guys read this? Because this is how it should be done. And I think Myrtle handled that in such a great way. Like if you you teach a journalism class, Ian, like you could hold both up to your students, we know with the trigger warning for yep. for the other headlines, and say this, let, let's just call it what it is. It's gross. <laughs> um, it's gross. And yeah. here is it being handled properly. And I think it's a really good lesson to teach young journalists. But at the end of the day – People in media get to decide how they want to do the job, right? And if you have you have to choose and then you live and die by that. Um, and I'm just glad that we both choose to hold ourselves in a different kind of way in this game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. 
Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Haley, you know what? Uh, we were we were bouncing around wondering, like, who should we bring in as a guest? And probably midway through the third period yesterday, we did not think that uh, Murat Atesh would be our guest. But guess what? They came rolling back to the uh, Winnipeg Jets. What an unbelievable turn of events. And uh, we bring him on to the Athletic Hockey Show on this Monday. And we got to ask you, first of all, Murat, um, at 4-1, what percentage of your story did you have written kind of, you know, a game story or an angle? Like, did you, and did you hit like select all delete? Or, like, kind of walk us through what happened in the third period from your vantage point. Well, I don't do a ton of pre-writing like a good writer would. You know what I mean? I just, I put the headphones on, I block out everything else, and I just zoom in on the game like a complete nerd. I, I somehow can't balance that. But I did, because the game was as severe as it was, I actually, for maybe the first time in my life, had a lead written, had the whole top structured in my mind. And it was going to be about how Despite the very fake playoff cup parade that was going around outside Bell MTS Place before the arena, uh, before the game started, despite the towels on all the empty seats with nobody in the stands, um, despite the fake crowd noise, it was a whole bunch of illusions. And those illusions were the exact same thing as Winnipeg's aspirations of shutting down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl for a third consecutive night, because I was that sure that that 4-1 lead was, was going to go and survive the night. I didn't think they had it in them. So you're saying that you jinxed it and this is your fault. Well, I guess <laughs> for a Winnipeg perspective, like you manifested something great. Um, but for Edmonton, they can blame you. Absolutely. If you're in Edmonton, <laughs> Alberta, you know, a city I lived in for three years as a child, a very innocent child. You can hate that kid right now. You can hate who that kid grew up to be. <laughs> And look, obviously, I don't think many people would have expected the outcome from uh, Sunday night's game, but also I don't know if many people would have looked at this series and said, you know, heading into game four, it would be an opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets to sweep the Edmonton Oilers. Um, what, I mean, did you think that – you just said you didn't think they had it in them to make that comeback yesterday, but what were your initial expectations heading into the series? And has Winnipeg just done everything that – you probably said they would have to do to get out of this series. Yeah, I had the script exactly right. I had all the secrets to shut down Connor McDavid. Um, the, we had to put this in context. The Jets went 2-9-2 and two down the stretch. They had a seven-game losing streak. Edmonton was 7-2-0 and oh against them, outscoring them 30-something to 20-something. McDavid and Dreisaitl had run rampant. Winnipeg didn't seem to have any answers right through their last loss against Edmonton. It was... Impossible. It looked like it should have been impossible. You look at the odds makers, you look at all the pundits, pundits. I think you can go to our site and look at everybody, all the NHL experts who predicted the series. I think it was 100% at Edmonton's favor. And I was leaning that way as well, based on what we had seen. I didn't think we had evidence to think that Winnipeg could find the defensive game to go through both game one and game two, holding Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid without a point. 
I don't think that's realistic. You can't ask teams of that. It happened once all season. Toronto did it three times in a row. Nobody else could do it even twice. And so here we are. And it takes luck. It takes um, in game one, within minutes of the series opening goal from Yessi Puyarvi, a situation where during the regular season, Winnipeg opens it up. Winnipeg starts chasing the game. McDavid and Dreisaitl exploit the Jets in transition. There's lots of space behind them because when Winnipeg keeps pushing up the ice, turns out Blake Wheeler throws a soft wrist shot on net. Mike Smith kicks it out. Tucker Pullman scores his first goal of the year on his third shot from that close near the net. Like this is just not something that happens, but the two on two is played poorly by Kulikov and Larson. Smith kicks out the rebound. Boom. And then on Dominic Toninato's game-winning game one goal, it hits a stick high in the zone. It then bounces off Toninato, goes off the net cam, and nobody knows that he scored. The off-ice officials have to call it in. Like These are the kinds of things that divide the series. Hellebuck makes 38 saves in game two. Dylan DeMello throws both his hands up from his back, not even facing Connor McDavid when Connor McDavid has an empty net, stops that puck. Otherwise, it's a one nothing third period Edmonton lead. Like These are the things that are happening to make the impossible possible. Heading into game four tonight, Winnipeg has a chance to make history. They have literally never beaten Edmonton in a playoff series in the NHL, and that's how we got here. So I want to make this very clear. I know you said it was 100% of people picked Edmonton and our experts. I it, And I have the, the, the playoff bracket. I can tweet it out. I got Winnipeg going to the final four. I, I, was, I, was, I was a believer. I look, Man, I wish we could show people your face. <laughs> your jaw. I your need to jaw see this bracket, my goodness. Is, yeah, I, I, and I told Haley that I, just, I always believed that Winnipeg, they struggled too much for my liking down the stretch. It was going to turn around for them. But anyway. I, I, what I think a lot of our listeners Sweet want to humble know. Humble bragging. Yeah, total humble bag. Oh yeah. By the way, I uh, so I got it right. Yeah. Welcome let's to not the talk show. About, let's, not, let's not talk about the rest of my bracket though. But what I think is really interesting, and what I'd love to to pick your brain about, is okay. McDavid had three points in Game Three, but prior to that was was held off the score sheet. Like, is there something tactically the Jets are doing? Is there a specific shadow on McDavid? Like, what are you seeing that would explain McDavid, who had a season for the ages? being essentially converted into a mortal in the first uh, first couple of games of this series. Yeah, it's definitely the storyline for games one and two. And we have to acknowledge there are moments like Dylan DeMello's throwing his hands up, getting that block. I mean, that's a surefire goal, and there's no tactics around that. These guys get their chances. Connor Hellebuck has had to be good. Let's, let's preface with that. But the single biggest tactical difference from the Winnipeg Jets' point of view is that they've backed so far off the four check when McDavid and Dreisaitl are on the ice. The Jets traditionally during the season, they would commit two four checkers high, which would leave one in the middle of the ice, two defensemen. And in the middle of the ice, the Oilers defensemen were able to make that pass around those two four checkers. And all of a sudden the neutral zone is wide open. And if it's wide open and Connor McDavid are going, is going at his speed or Leon Dreisaitl is moving at his speed, that's too much space. There's a whole pocket there that the Oilers were able to exploit in transition. And if you look at the regular season, I think that 6-1 devastating loss um, that, you know, really turned Winnipeg's emotional tie towards the negative was based on transition goals. In the playoffs, it's one forward high, two forwards way back at the red line. The Jets are basically uh, parking the bus four across their own blue line in an attempt to take away the time and space through the neutral zone. And it looks so passive. It looks, it must be so frustrating for like Mark Shifley, one of the most offensive players, Kyle Connor to line up with Connor McDavid and be told, okay, don't go try to get the puck. 
when they have committed two guys high, it's been an issue. It absolutely has. And in a heartbeat, it happens twice in a game. McDavid and Drysdale get two scoring chances in a game because they burst up through the neutral zone, get the free entry. But for the most part, the Jets have been good at limiting the Oilers in transition. The, the game, sorry, pardon me, the goals that Edmonton got last night to take that 4-1 lead, you have Leon Dreisaitl with a long in-zone shift. You cannot stop that. He ran over Josh Morrissey. Morrissey's limping to try to get off the ice. The puck bounces back. The Oilers get a shot. Dreisaitl beats Morrissey to the rebound. That's going to happen. That is Leon Dreisaitl. You cannot stop that. Um, they get a power play goal on the 5-on-3. You cannot stop that. Then the, the Jets start to open it up. They're trailing the game. And you get the you get the Jets pressing. A minute and four shift from Kyle Connor and Mark, Mark, Mark Scheifele, pardon me. And that's against Dreisaitl McDavid. They get a transition three on two. Boom, Zach Cassian scores. So they have succeeded by, by and large, committing to their game, stopping that transition from happening and just accepting that the guys are going to get their chances otherwise. And is this just an example of, like, you know, not just a complete buy-in from the players, but also just good tactical planning by Paul Maurice and his coaching staff? It is. And one of the stories for me all season long, and it's come out in quotes, it's come out from Paul Maurice, it's come out from Mark Scheifele as well. Mark Scheifele did not have a strong defensive impact season last year. Mark Scheifele has struggled to be a matchup center going power versus power all season long. There, there have been issues there culminating in a high-profile hockey night in Canada benching where he took a 90-second shift, took a coast to his own bench, and was scored on by the Toronto Maple Leafs in transition just seconds later. And this has been something they've been working on. And one of the reasons why I didn't think that Winnipeg could go toe-to-toe with McDavid and Dreisaitl and have this kind of success is because I didn't think Mark Scheifele could be part of a line that had success against the best players in the world. And I got to be honest, too. Of Scheifele, Wheeler, and Connor, the Jets' top line, Shifley is the most likely to see something and go for it and turn into stretching the zone and trying to be a second four checker or trying to stay in the offensive zone a little bit longer, but he has been so much improved and so committed to the game over the, over the first three games of, uh, of hockey. One bad back check on that Zach Cassian goal, but that's it. And during the regular season, there was so much more of that. So for me, when you talk about buy-in and you talk about tactics combined, I look at the Jets superstar, one of the best offensive players in the world, committing to a game that I don't think was possible for him just one month ago. What do you think is going through Patrick Laine's mind if he's watching this, ser- <laughs> if he's watching this series from afar? What's going through his mind? I think he wanted to jump hug Nick Ehlers just like everybody else did after Ehlers' overtime game-winning goal. They're best buds, right? Like, this is the friendship that the Winnipeg community had grown to know and love over the years. Patrick Liney, with this trade, not only cost himself the offensive season of his life playing with Paul Stastian and Nick Ehlers probably on that second line, but now he's missing out on this. I mean, I think there's dollars missed, there's love missed, there's the playoffs missed. I think he's got to feel a little bit left out to be sure. And then I guess the the other portion of that question is Pierre-Luc Dubois and his impact, because I know he missed the game uh, in this series, but like, what have you seen out of the guy that, I mean, this is who they, this is why they brought in uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois was for these types of series, these types of moments. I know he's only played two games, but what what impact has he had on, on the Jets' uh, success so far in this series? Well, he hasn't been able to take things over. I mean, I remember that Toronto series last summer. I remember that Tampa Bay series last summer. He was incredible. He was a force with speed, with power, all those sorts of things. He was taking over games offensively. That has not been the case. He had a couple of assists uh, last night. 
which were sort of almost against the flow of play with Ehlers and Stastny. There's been a bit of play killing and it's been such a tough season for, for Dubois. The, the trade gets followed by quarantine and then immediate for two weeks and then an immediate injury. He got injured towards the end of the regular season, misses um, a week of hockey, including the Jets' first playoff game, comes in for game two. He hasn't been able to turn the tide through that same kind of dominance, but it speaks to Winnipeg's depth that he doesn't have to step in and take over the game. They have a Nick Ehlers for that. Wheeler, Shifley, and Connor have played uh, very good against the Oilers' top line. Adam Lowry, Matthew Perot, like there are depth guys playing out of their minds right now. Just really, that's Winnipeg's strength, that forward group. So Dubois being able to be part of that sort of secondary scoring line with Ehlers and Stastny, he's just doing what he does. And yes, plays sometimes do die on a stick, Ian, I got to admit. Like, I want to trumpet it. I want to trumpet he came back. Things started going great. Um, but it's a spark, I think, for me that just came in at the end of uh, last night's game where, okay, now he's got a couple of points, bounces went his way, you know, don't wake the sleeping giant. If he is still getting back from injury, the Jets make it to round two. Well, watch out for Pierre-Luc Dubois in due time. And can, I mean, we've kind of touched on it and a little bit in some of these questions, some of your answers, but can you just talk about Connor Hallibuck and how great he's been this series? The best player in the series, in my opinion. I mean, he, he, he stopped, uh, was it 77 of 78, 70 of 71? Like the guy has been incredible all season long. He's a big boost to Winnipeg in the standings. He was my 2020 Hart Trophy number one pick on the ballot because of how horrid Winnipeg's defense has been, the kinds of chances the Jets give up. They're known for tons of shots, tons of shots from in close, tons of shots from dangerous situations, like whether public or private analytical models, nobody, not nobody, but amongst teams that are thought of as very good offensive teams, the Jets give up quite a lot. Connor Hellebuck is their heartbeat. Blake Wheeler calls him the reason Winnipeg feels confident night in and night out. Um, it's, I think it's no secret, and maybe it used to be, that this guy was the driver behind Winnipeg's success. And yeah, sure, four goals go in last night, but you have that five-on-three, you have Leon Dreisaitl doing superhuman things, you have Zach Cassian on three-on-two with McDavid and Dreisaitl. These things are going to happen. Um, but for the large part, he's been absolutely out of his mind, phenomenal. Winnipeg's best player, it's MVP, and this has been the case for two years easily. He was on my heart ballot last year too, just to show how smart I also am since Ian did that already. If Ian can make the call, you can make the call. I like it. It's all, it's all humble brags here from, yeah. from all of Look us. Look how here. smart hey. we are at the Athletic yeah. Hockey Show. Yeah. Okay. Hey, as we wrap up here, I, I got to ask you because I know if, if Montreal-Toronto gets to a sixth game, uh, they will allow a small number of fans into the Bell Center in Montreal, 2,500 people. What's the situation in Winnipeg? Uh, I think we were all thinking on Sunday night, my goodness, if there was a crowd at MTS Center to witness that, it would have been amazing. If the Jets can get past uh, Edmonton, Murat, is there any opportunity for limited uh, capacity, a handful of fans to come in for round two? I don't see it on our horizon because of Manitoba's COVID situation right now. I think we're per capita the worst in Canada at the moment, perhaps North America. We're we're in a tougher spot than we've ever been with respect to COVID-19, which is a real shame at this stage with this much time gone by. And it's an especially big shame when you have a comeback win like Sunday down 4-1 
10 minutes to go, three minutes and three seconds they get those goals. I mean, imagine Bell MTS place. You wouldn't need 16,000 fans to blow the roof off of that place. If it was 2,000 or 3,000, it would have been so special. So I don't see it in our immediate future. And honestly, it just, it makes me sad. I miss that for the fans. I wish they could have it. And I wish that we were doing better in terms of that COVID-19 situation. Well, listen, we uh, we wish you the, the the best of luck in your coverage of the Winnipeg Jets here as if they, you know, fingers crossed and, and for Jets fans that they can get into uh, to round two and and, and beyond. But uh, we wish you the the very best in terms of staying safe, because obviously, as you outlined, uh, things aren't great uh, in, in Manitoba and in Winnipeg. But we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us about an unbelievable game that uh, unfolded on uh, on Sunday. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you, Haley. All right, Haley, as always, going to wrap up the show with a little multiple choice madness. Here we go. We'll do a, a couple of questions here. Uh, obviously, playoff related, playoff themes. Here we go. Question one, Haley. It's time to cast your way too early Conn Smythe trophy for playoff MVP. I know we're only like 10 days into the playoffs, uh, the Northern Series. Uh, you know, in some cases, there's only been a couple of games played, but here we go. Haley, who gets your vote for the way too early Conn Smythe trophy? As playoff MVP, is it A, Connor, uh, sorry, A, Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning, B, Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets, C, Nathan McKinnon from uh, the Colorado Avalanche, Vegas Golden Knights goalie Mark andre Fleury, or E, UC Saros, goaltender for the Nashville Predators. Haley, who gets your way too early Consmite Trophy vote right now? I'm going to say Nathan McKinnon. Uh, four games, nine points. He's been incredible. Um, you know, he's just really taking his game to a whole other level. He has six goals in, in four games in that sweep of St. Louis. He scored six goals like that is a star player playing, you know, raising his game in the playoffs, helping his team win. Um, and obviously, you know, I think UC Saros played great. Um, like I said, I have been a big fan, um, but I don't know how far Nashville is going to make it. Right. So I'm going to go with a team that I think, you know, I picked Colorado to win the Stanley cup. So I'm going to stay true to that. And not only will the avalanche, in my opinion, win this year, because again, I think they have a chip on their shoulder from last season. Um, but it's going to be led by Nate McKinnon and he's, that's just an incredible first round for Nathan. So he's my con Smythe trophy winner. You know what? Um, I, that's I, it's hard to argue with that. Like you said, uh, to, to get as many goals as he's got. But I'm gonna so, I'm gonna go with Connor Hellebuck. And I think if you had gone into this series and said Haley, "Hey, Connor's gonna be the MVP of this series," he'd be like, "Yeah, of course, it's gonna be McDavid." But it's not. It's Hellebuck, and he's got a 9.58, I think 9.58 save percentage, buck 55 goals against. I think uh, the the ice has been tilted at times in favor of Edmonton. Hellebuck has been dynamite, and I I really truly believe. He's the best goalie on a Canadian base team right now. And I I yeah. and that's why a big reason why I picked Winnipeg to get out is I trusted the goaltending. I trusted yeah. it more than Edmonton's. I trusted it more than Toronto's or Montreal's. But I never thought I, I mean, right now I think he's playing on another level. So give me Connor Hellebuck, Haley, as the way too early Con Smythe trophy winner for me. And if I can jump in, as great as Connor Hellebuck has been. With a 958 save percentage, Marc Andre Fleury is sitting at a 966. That's gross. It is. It is gross. Um, <laughs> just to say, just to throw that out there. I mean, even Jack Campbell has a 943 save percentage right now. Like, we're just seeing some incredible goaltending this playoffs, and I love it. 
yeah, goal scoring's fun and everything, but the goaltending has just been awesome. And like you said, when you see uh, a series like Carolina Nashville, even though there's some goals, there's some unbelievable uh, overtime goaltending that's gone on there. Okay, uh, Haley, question number two. This one really created a stir in the hockey world, and that is the Department of Player Safety slapping Nazem Kadri with an eight-game suspension for his high hit last week uh, as part of that series against uh, the St. Louis Blues and Justin Falk. So here's my question, Haley. Did the Department of Player Safety get the Kadri suspension right? Your answers, your options are A, yes. Eight games was a fair punishment for a repeat offender, or B, no. Eight playoff games is way too harsh. So tell you what, I'm going to go first on this one, and I know that I construct the questions, and so maybe I should have altered this a little bit. I'm going to say yes, the punishment was fair, but I just want to see this applied fairly in the future. That's all. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know that this is being done so that down the road, if there's another player that's at a repeat offender, when he does something like this, it's going to be eight games for him. Because mm-hmm. I think I, I've been a lo- uh, among a huge chorus of people saying we got to crack down on head injuries. So for me to sit here and say eight games is, is too harsh because no one else has gotten eight games, that's wrong. I think this is the right suspension, but let's keep doing it. Like, keep making the suspensions so hard. Like, let me put it this way, Haley. This is the first time in a long time I recall having a conversation of, ooh, is this, is this too harsh of a penalty? Usually it's the yeah. other way around where we're like, I don't think that's harsh enough. So they got it right, but just keep getting it right. That's my point. Yeah, and I agree. It's tough to say, no, he doesn't deserve the suspension because we know that Nazem Kadri has had several instances of being suspended, specific, and not for like a trip, not for a slash, for, for a headshot. Um, and that is certainly an issue, but obviously we have seen, you know, you look back at some of the the headshot suspensions that got handed out this season. It's a lot of two game suspensions. I think we saw lots of three game, one game, um, you know, that really aggressive and it wasn't, it wasn't direct contact to the head for Sam Bennett, but that boarding charging call, um, he got one game, um, Tom Wilson got a fine, um, that's the elephant in the room, obviously. And he is a repeat offender. Um, and he got a f- what a $5,000 fine, $50,000 fine. So Five, it's tough to 5, look 000. at the 5,000. Um, and, but again, the league explained that as the incident with Artemi Panarin was just a post whistle scrum that ended poorly. Um, and then I think he got fined for the cross check to the back of the head on Buchnevich. So it's hard to look at the Condry suspension and say like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense because everything I just said, um, you know, and I was looking at what Jared Bednar had to say, and obviously it's the coach of the Colorado Avalanche. So he is going to, you know, be a little bit biased because it's his player. Um, but what he said, because at first I look at it and it was like, Kadri, like this isn't the first time when you look at all the suspensions as they are right now, that's 16 games. Like that is a, that is the Stanley, you won the Stanley cup with your playoff um, suspension, 16 games. It goes all the way to the cup final, basically <laughs> um, for Nazem Kadri. And it's hard to look at that and say, yeah, you don't deserve it because this isn't the first time he's been caught in that situation. But Jared Bednar said something interesting that makes me think, okay, Maybe eight games is too much. 
So they lay out the rules of what a repeat offender is. And in my understanding, it's 18 months. So you watch the video and they talk about him being a repeat offender, but he's not because he's been with us for 18 months and he does not have any history with the Colorado Avalanche. So I don't understand it. Um, so if that's the interpretation and that's the correct interpretation of a repeat offender and Nazem Kadri has not been suspended for contact to the head or any kind of suspension in the last 18 months, then I guess I kind of agree with Jared Bednar. He is a repeat offender in the past, um, but he wasn't suspended last year in the playoffs. Um, so if, if it's an 18 month pad that they're looking at, if you've been suspended for this in the last, um, essentially two seasons, then you're a repeat offender. Um, I don't know. That's my big roundabout way of saying, I think he should have been suspended, but maybe eight games is too harsh. Um, so maybe I'm saying no, but it's tough. Like it's not black and white here. It's not just, yeah, it's good. No, it's not because we want to, I think we, we are both in agreement that we want there to be penalties for contact to the head so there is a reason for these players to not do it anymore (laughs) like you have to give them a reason to not continue to do this and that's probably the reason why it came down so hard on Kadri because what is this it's the fourth time in the last five years fourth time in the last five or six years that he's been suspended in the playoffs for a headshot so this is clearly somebody who they're trying to change that behavior Um, But again, if you're calling it by the book and that's the definition of repeat offender that they're using, then eight games is probably too much, especially when you see a $5,000 fine. (laughs) I I also think that, by the way, that 18 month rule is really stupid because that means that. So every uh, every 18 months, I'm allowed to clock a guy in the head and it's a slate. Come on. Like, let's smarten up here. Okay, last question. In multiple choice madness, Haley, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you three Stanley Cup rings, and I'm gonna slap a big old mustache on your face. And now you're Coach Joe Quenville. <laughs> you're Coach Q, Haley. I'm gonna what put you, you in his shoes. Okay? <laughs> okay. Who would you start in goal for the Florida Panthers in a win or go home game five Ooh. against the Lightning? Would you go A. Sergey Bobrovsky, B. Chris Drieger, or C. Spencer Knight. Who would you go with if you were Joel Quenville? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, well, it was Bobrovsky who won them their first. Bobrovsky played in game one and two, right? When they had the great, the awesome game one. No, no, they, they switched. Uh, they switched after game one. He played game one, right? Yeah. Drieger played game two, right? Yeah. I mean, my my first thought is to go back to the guy who won, who's won you the one game that you've won in this series, but he's also lost a couple. And do you really want to go to a young rookie? Uh, I don't envy the position that Joel Quenville is in. Um, I, th- I think I saw on, online the other day that Spencer Knight was warming up in the starter's crease, wasn't he? So I think that he's starting game five. Or at least he was practicing like it was a possibility. Um, I don't know. I think. I don't know. Going to, you know, a rookie goalie to make their first ever playoff start in a must win game five is. It's a bold strategy, but, you know, 
maybe I'll go with Spencer Knight because obviously you're down 3-1 in the series. You've, you know, there's been a ton of goals against, so maybe you need to try something new. So maybe maybe I say Spencer Knight. You know what? You're if, right. Like so Bobrovsky did get the win in this series, but it was in relief. Uh in that in that wacky 6-5 game. Yeah. So that's where, a, it's just weird, right? It's tough to look at the goaltending and say, "Okay, well he won the game." Uh, he lost, but he only let in a couple. He lost, but he let in what the five goal game. So the games have been great. I don't, you know, Andre Vasilevsky has been great. But when you look at the Florida Panthers, I don't know if they're, they can say that goaltending has been, you know, a, a huge strength for them. So, I mean, yeah, it would be his first playoff start ever, but I guess your other two goaltenders haven't exactly gotten it done. So maybe you go for the rookie and hope that there can be some first playoff start. Magic, uh, that's kind of throwing a kid into the fire, though, against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Stamkos, and Kucherov, and all the firepower that they have. I, you know what, though? Like, so you you would go at night, though? Ah, why not? That does not sound the least bit. Con- First of all, that's a terrible Joel Quenville impression because you would never sound like that. And B, <laughs> you have no confidence in your voice. No. But who else would I have confidence in Drieger or Bobrovsky? No. No. It's 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 so, so true though. Like there's the old saying, if you have three goalies, you really have no goalies. And that's the Panthers right now. Like they don't have anything. I, I, I would tend to agree with you. I'd go Spencer Knight. And it looks like that that's what they're doing. But why not? Yeah, like you're it's just a cop out because he's warming up as the no, starter. So no, we're like, I would if have I was it- Jill Quenville, I would do exactly what no. Jill Quenville's doing right now. <laughs> exactly. I would do it for sure though, because I think maybe sometimes when you put a rookie goalie in there, it might sometimes snap everybody's attention into focus. And yeah. they're a little bit more worried about how they play in their own zone and they don't want to get embarrassed or so I think the kid, they have high hopes for him. Why not give it a whirl here? We've seen crazy things in the past with Cam Ward and you know other goalies that really had no uh, playoff pedigree coming into the situations where their teams were down uh, by a couple of games and they bounced back. All right, Haley, we're going to have to leave it there. How do you think our brackets are going to be when we revisit uh, the show next week? I, I don't know that our Panthers are going to be alive. Yeah, that's going to hurt. Um... You know, I didn't have Edmonton going too far, so that's not going to kill me. Um, my, I had Vegas. I had Colorado, so I'm looking pretty good there. I have Toronto, so we'll see what happens tonight. This is going to be a big week for us, Ian, but no, my final four is my Panthers. <clears throat> Hurt me. Our, uh, our Panthers, our hurt Panthers us. hurt us. Hurt yeah, us. sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. Uh, our Panthers hurt us. We're down bad. Um, poor Edmonton fans are down bad. Like I tried to make a joke about it to one of my friends, and he was like, "Not now." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> ooh, spicy over in Edmonton." Uh, but we'll see. Uh, and I wouldn't hate being again. I would. It'd be great to see Rod Brindamore and the Carolina Hurricanes go deep into the playoffs. Although I didn't have them beating Florida in the next round because, again, that's our team. Um, but, it, you know, I wouldn't hate seeing the Predators make an upset like that. You know, for all of the discourse that was around that team this year, all of the discourse around Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, and those two played really well the last couple games. They they struggled a bit early. Um, they've played well down the stretch. Um, I wouldn't hate to see Nashville make a big upset 
Team Chaos. I'm sorry. Yeah. I like the Hurricanes, but I also like the chaotic energy. So down goes Brown. Maybe I'll mend the fences. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll try and do that with him on Thursday. We got the show together. Uh, but yeah. that does it for Tell us here. To, fight. To get, uh, yeah. I, I love it when I have to inform someone. Hey, FYI, you're in a fight with somebody. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there though. Thanks everybody for listening to this edition of the athletic hockey show. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. We certainly would appreciate that. You can get a six month subscription to the athletic for just $1 a month. When you visit the athletic.com slash hockey show reminder, we've got a new show in the roster comes your way every Tuesday. It's the team USA. That's what they're calling themselves. Team USA edition of the athletic hockey show. Custance and Jen Tilly, they're back at it on Tuesday. They'll be joined by, um, I guess, interim uh, Sabres head coach Don Granato. Still got the interim tag on there. Don Granato joins the Athletic Hockey Show with Craig Custance, Sean Gentilly. That comes your way Tuesday. Burnside and LeBron, they're back with the two-man advantage edition on Wednesday. And uh, like I said, I'll try and mend the fence between Haley Salvian and Sean McIndoe. He's down goes Brown. We're back at it on Thursday.